0: ...media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 3 this morning. If you remember last week we kind of left with Mark chapter 3 verse 6 when we saw uh, two enemies actually gathering together because they had a common enemy. The Herodians and the Pharisees and the scribes got together. They hated each other, uh, did not have any affection whatsoever uh, toward each other, and yet they gathered together because they had one common enemy, and that was Jesus Christ. And we'll pick up there this morning. Um, how many of y'all have ever had the um, uh, responsibility, been in charge of hiring someone? I know we have managers, we have different ones like that. It's also, it's always one of those things that, um, uh, is kind of a, a cool thing that you, you get to interview people and you get to kind of do an evaluation. But I think one of the things, I've been one who has hired a lot of people in the past, uh, I found it to be a very imperfect science one of those things you could have all kinds of resumes before you You could have a lot of different things like that but there's only so much that you can tell on a piece of paper even when you start the interview process there's only so much you can do in an interview to get a kind of a reflection of you know the truth of that person and you look over the resumes and you try to make the best match to the, the given strings but it's kind of just a tense time in fact can we show some of those pictures uh you know Maybe that's how you have felt the interviewer has been when you were on the other side of the table. Maybe you look like this next picture. Yeah, like, okay, he's looking at my resume. Okay, is this a real reflection of my life? It's just a tense time. Well, I bring that up this morning because in today's passage, Jesus is going to call the 12 disciples. And there wasn't really an interview process. What we see when we look into the scripture is the authority of Christ just to to call them. In fact, the Greek word that we're going to kind of see is really the focus there. He summons them. And we, we see some nuances in this passage that maybe when we're just doing a, our regular devotion for the day that we kind of look over. But Jesus very much is in control of this situation. He calls 12 disciples. I don't think if, for those that just raised their hand and said, yes, I have in the past had the authority, I've had the responsibility of hiring people, I could almost promise you that everyone that raised their hand before Had you been interviewing people for disciple of Jesus and knowing the need that was there, and then you looked at these 12 guys, I don't know that we would have hired any of them, maybe one or two of them, but there would have been kind of a quick, I don't know how you do your process, but one time I had about 70 resumes for for one position, and I was able to eliminate like 60 instantly. Now, those may have been wonderful people. I'm sure that Jesus loved them and that they loved Jesus maybe. But it was one of those things, you know, you were able to put like 60 over here almost immediately. Well, I could almost promise you, given what we know about the disciples, had we been in charge of the process, 11 out of the 12 would have gone over there. In fact, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but the one that did kind of have a sterling resume out of the other ones, Judas. As far as just what he looked like on paper would have been kind of a little bit outperforming of a lot of the other guys. And we kind of all know how that turned out. It's an imperfect science. And yet what we see this morning, what I pray that we see, is the perfection of what Christ did here. That he took this ragtag bunch that you and I would have never chosen. And how it was the perfection of God and the perfection of his summoning, that literally began to turn the world upside down. Let's look in Mark chapter 3. Verse 6, remember, was when they're the Herodians, and they're getting together, they're conspiring about how they might do away, kill Jesus. Verse 7 now. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Adamea, And from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, uh, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now you may not be familiar with the geography of the day, but the word of Jesus had gotten out. It wasn't just a Galilean ministry now. This to, is to, to Judea, Jerusalem. And, and these other parts were kind of markers north. What we would say, okay, go to California, all the way up to New England, all the way down to Florida. We would use those as markers to say, okay, this is kind of at least the continental United States. And we would use those markers. Well, these markers that Mark points out means that Jesus' ministry is not just the Galilean ministry anymore. It is really expanded and so now it's not just the hundreds from this village, a couple thousand from that village, but now most expositors, most kind of theologians that are scholarly in this uh, in, in this mindset would say that tens of thousands now were coming sometimes upon Jesus. That's a lot of people today. That was a huge amount of people back in the day. That you could gather tens of thousands of people? Now, remember at this time that, again, the the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're plotting to kill Jesus. So you have that going on. And they're always in the crowd. They always have some people in the crowd taking notes uh, about if Jesus is breaking any of these 613 additional laws that the Pharisees had made. So you have that picture going on. Now, let's add another layer of chaos you have people that are sick, uh, not just within Galilee, from all these different places. They're coming, they've heard about the miracles, and, and they're coming to get healed. They're really not coming for the message of Christ so much. There's probably some that are authentically wanting to hear the message of Christ. But from what we can tell from all the uh, the Gospels is that the interest in Jesus at this point is pretty much, what. Jesus could do for them in a physical way in a way of healing. They really weren't looking so much for a spiritual healing at this point. On top of that, Jesus part of his ministry is he's ridding people of demonic spirits that that has another layer of chaos all to it. And when the demons would come out, they would even begin to say, "You are the the son of God. You are the son of God." To the point where Jesus had to actually tell them to be quiet. Look what it says in verse 11 and 12. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. Now that seems like that's a really good proclamation, isn't it? And yet the instance that we get here, the inference that we get is that they were doing it over and over and over and over again to the point where Jesus says, look, <laughs> he strictly ordered them not to make him known. In other words, stop saying this. And there's still a mystery of, of not that Jesus wants to be mysterious, but he wants people to come to him for spiritual healing, not just for the physical. And so sometimes he's telling people, okay, don't say this. Don't let this word get out. Let them hear the message. Three layers of chaos, all combined together. And what does Jesus do in the midst of this? He says, I'm going to call 12 people out to change the world. Now, there's a lot of disciples, there's a lot of followers of Christ at this time, sometimes as many as 80, 100, 120, we get different numbers. And yet he's going to call 12 specifically to be with him, and he's going to really make them apostles by the strictest sense of that definition, because he's going to send them out in proclamation. Before he does that, though, he does something very, very important. He goes up to a mountain to pray. Now Mark, because Mark is a very brief gospel and he's ready to get to the cross and he leaves out some details, that's where we have to do the harmony of the gospels, where we take all the gospels, kind of lay them on top of each other to see, so that it can kind of give us the best picture of what really happened. And Luke tells us what happened the night before Jesus called out these disciples. Luke 6-12. In these days he went out from the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, we see a lot of references in the Gospels about Christ praying. We see reference to lonely place, a deserted place, and he goes off by himself in solitary to go and pray. This is the only reference that we have of him praying all through the night. Now, certainly, he was praying at night in Gethsemane instead of early morning, but remember the the arrest comes. But this is the time that he's praying all through the night. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 15. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons." These three verses, this is what we're going to focus on this morning, because if we were just reading that in our usual quiet time, just kind of a study we're reading through the Gospels, I think that we would get the general drift. Okay, he went to pray, and he's going to call the disciples. But there's some really key words in here that show us how perfect this setting really was. First of all, when we begin to look at this, we see the authority of Jesus in the calling of man. Now, of course, we would say, Jesus has the authority to do anything. But the authority of Jesus in calling them this time. By this time, again, Jesus had a lot of followers. Um, the term disciples means a follower in the broadest sense. And so there was a lot of people that were kind of tagging along in the ministry. But here, Jesus calls 12 men out specifically to be his disciples, to travel with him exclusively. And it says that he called them to be apostles. Disciples disciples. And apostles, are those similar? Yeah. Are they interchangeable? Well, probably not. Because a disciple primarily is saying a, a follower. If you're a disciple of somebody, apostle takes on an added, yes, you are a follower of that person, but an apostle is one who has the official service with a commission. And in this case, it says that he called those apostles out that he might send them out to preach. The word there is proclama- the, this proclamation, the same one that Jesus gives about himself. Now notice in verse 13, it says that Jesus called to him these men. The Greek word there, and this is probably not in most of your translations, it's not in the ESV, but you would find it in about five or six different translations that I saw. And if they instead of saying called to him, they used the word summon. Does anybody have a translation where it says, and Jesus summoned these men? More than likely not, because it's some of those translations that are great translations. They're just not the common ones that we would use. But that's the Greek right word here. Now, I'm not just trying to say, okay, let's look at the Greek for the sake of, let's try to be very intellectual. No, it really tells us something. How many of you have ever been summoned by a court before? You have to tell me what it was about. Okay, <laughs> it may just be simply to be a witness. Okay, hopefully you're on that side of the summoning. Okay, did you just say, "Ah, oh, this is an invitation that if I want to go, I can, and if I don't want to go, I don't have to"? No, this summons it may come from a court, but it originates from a judge and the judge to the court, and so all of a sudden you get the summons, and it's not an invitation for you to express your wish. I wish to attend. I wish not to attend. When you get a summons, guess what it means? Show up. (laughs) This is the word that is used in the Greek. It tells us that this wasn't just, you know, Jesus going up to 12 guys. Hey, guys, here's the deal. If you follow me, you can do these things. It's what we saw in the calling of James and John, what we saw in the the, the calling of Peter and Andrew. He says, drop your nets. Remember that? That with authority, he called them. Well, now that authority is being extended to all 12 of these, where he doesn't just say, would you like to sign up and travel with me for the next three years? We're going to see some really amazing things. We're going to do some of the things. There's going to be a time that, that you might see a little, uh, you know, a young man's lunch be turned into something that can feed thousands and thousands of people. He's not kind of baiting them to be part of an exciting ministry. He's not baiting them to, hey, be part of a ground level revolution. He is summoning them. He is commanding them I choose you. Now follow me. Here's, here's your job. Big difference. Big difference if I'm invited to something and I can exercise my wish to either go or not and being summoned with someone with authority that I better show up. And this is the word that is used here. Jesus shows amazing authority. I mean, I wanted to get you this in your mindset because sometimes I think that we can, uh, kind of get it wrong. Uh, I think we make a lot of this calling. Man-centered rather than Christ-centered? The 12 are not applying for the job. This is not a room filled with 50 people that say, I want to be a disciple, and these 12 got the job because Jesus looked over the resumes and said, ah, oh, this looks pretty good. They're not applying for the job. It isn't uh, 12 jobs that go to the highest bidder. This isn't a process, except for that Jesus is the only one involved. I mean, that's the process. Jesus prays to the Father all night long and then summons that these 12 will follow him. See, the reason I think that's a pretty big deal, one of my spiritual pet peeves, I think we make much. Has God given us freedom? Yes. Is there a freedom that he's given us, a free will? Yes. Yes. Guys, God is sovereign. He chose me. I don't know why He chose me, but He chose me. And somewhere, free will works with God's sovereignty in His perfection. But a lot of times, when we go out into a world and we kind of make this, that Jesus is almost—we've said this before—almost like He's begging. Oh, will you please follow me? Will you please follow me? He's not. He's commanding, he's choosing, he's purposing, he is sovereign over all things. Now again, we could get into spiritual and theological debate. Can we resist that calling? That's a whole nother sermon for, in fact, that's a whole nother 40 sermons uh, on what that means. You know? But let's not make a man-centered thing where we just kind of make ourselves the authority here. I might, upon your invitation, follow you, and I I might not. If God has ever granted you the privilege of knowledge in your mind and your heart of your sinfulness and the sufficiency of a Savior, oh folks, don't waste that opportunity of just sitting there, you know, I might, I might not. Grab that, that the Holy Spirit would awaken you to your lostness, awaken you to the sufficiency of Christ. Grab that opportunity. God chooses. Uh, well, are you sure that's right? Think about Abraham. Abraham is probably a good man, but Abraham just living his life, okay? And what does God do? God chooses Abraham. And Abraham follows. Moses, another Old Testament biggie. He's just out there. He's content to be a shepherd for the rest of his life. Burning bush, God speaking. God calls. Moses wants to kind of reject. And, and yet God's the one who says, No, you don't understand. This really isn't an invitation. <laughs> You can make up all kinds of things about you stutter and you don't speak well. This, I've got that fixed. I'm going to send Aaron, your brother, with you. He speaks well. You don't understand. I'm choosing you. And here's your job. Noah the same way. Noah just sitting there, minding his own business. Go build an ark. What's an ark? I'll tell you. Folks, whenever we put ourselves in the place of authority over the authority and the sovereignty of of Jesus Christ, of God, we have misplaced our importance there. He he has given us free will. There is a a part. Can we reject God? Again, another theological discussion that, that can be had. Let us not take for granted what the scripture tells us here and that God chooses us to follow. And he chooses, he summons them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote probably one of the greatest books of discipleship ever called The Cost of Discipleship. And there's this quote that I love in that book. It says, discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Hey, Jesus, can you disciple me? No, it is an offer that is extended to man. Follow me, he commands us. And yet we we put our importance so much up there. Well, enough. I, I could go on for a long time with that because that is one of my spiritual pet peeves. I just think we get it wrong. I think we make much of man instead of making much of God. The second thing that it shows us there is not just the authority of Jesus, but the perfection of Jesus in calling. Notice verse 13 again. He called to him those whom he desired. This ragtag bunch of guys wasn't exactly the bunch that we would have picked, but it was exactly the ones that he would have picked. Get this, these 12, that's plan A. There is no plan B. He's precise. He's precise. I mean, with these 12, um, it's a mixed variety We would never put these 12 together, not for a softball team, not for anything, because they really were just a varied bunch. They had different backgrounds. They had different political views. They had different vocations, very different personalities. They were different ages, and yet they were whom he desired. This world, they look like the dirty dozen. They look like the dysfunctional dozen. But I can say this, and I I, I promise you'd be theologically correct. They were the divine dozen. Not because they had divinity, but because the divine sovereign God called them out by his desire. These are the ones that he desired. They're far from divine, but they were exactly the men that Jesus in his perfection called. Jesus had prayed all night. Do you think that Jesus was... Number one, can Jesus mess up? No. <laughs> but he prayed all night. You think, Ah, oh, man, I should have prayed for three days instead of just all night. He's seeking the Father, and then he comes out, and he makes this calling upon their lives, and we can just know by everything that is of Christ. And when it says that these are the men that he desired, that this was the perfect, the perfect selection of 12 men, but the men were imperfect. What's the application real quick of that? When God saves you in his perfection of his choosing, who does he save? He saves very imperfect people. This would make us really happy here that these were not 12 sterling specimens of spiritual, you know, that somehow they were just the giants of spirituality of the day. No, I mean, they sometimes didn't have enough spirituality to to blow up a paper bag. Yet they were the men that he desired. And he summons them. He doesn't invite them. He commands them to follow and to go preach the gospel. It also shows us the purpose of Jesus, the, the authority of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, and the purpose of Jesus. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Two things that they're going to be doing. In one way, I guess you could break it down to three. But but two main things. So that they might be with him. And then the second one is what they were actually going to be doing as they went out. Send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Up to this point, the ministry of Jesus had been kind of a come and see kind of ministry. The focus for the most part had been kind of come and see. Now it was going to be go and tell. This morning, what we're doing is kind of a come and see. You can come in the door. We're going to look at the gospel. This is a come and see ministry. What happens when you leave here in just a little while is a go and tell ministry. When you go to your job tomorrow, go and tell ministry. When you hang out with the neighbors, go and tell ministry. When you do other things out there in the world, go and tell ministry. They're both included in the ministry of Christ. But up to this point, for the most part, even though he did travel around a little bit, mostly it was a come and see ministry. And they were coming and they were seeing. So much that Jesus had to have a way of escape. I mean, he said, have the boat ready because this throng of people is pressing upon me. There were so many that just wanted to kind of touch Jesus. Because we know that many were healed just by simply touching Jesus. If all of a sudden that's kind of the key to getting well and you've been sick for five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, all your life, I promise you I'm in line. But I'm in line with maybe a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand others. So this is what's going on. And so now he calls these people and he says, look, we're going to start the go and tell ministry and you're going to be the part that's going and telling. Notice what happens to these disciples, these apostles. They're sent out with a purpose. They're so sent out to proclaim. The, The actual Greek word there described their calling is the same exact one that Jesus used Back in Mark chapter 1 verse 38, remember when he established his ministry and says, I have come for this reason, to proclaim the good news. Remember that? Back in chapter 1? Now he uses that same word to say, okay guys, this is your job. To proclaim the good news. Caruso. To preach, to proclaim. And the amazing things is when we fast forward to Acts and we see the call upon the New Testament church, guess what he has called us to do? Same word. Proclamation. Now you may not be out preaching in front of somebody, but I promise you, you preach a sermon every day. <laughs> you know, just with our life and the way that we live and all that. But we have been called to proclaim. This is the calling of even the modern day Christian that we are called to proclaim in the same way that Jesus said that he was. We see that over and over again in all the Gospels. Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20, that very familiar Great Commission. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, proclaim, give the good news, baptizing them, make disciples, baptize them. Mark sixteen 15. He'll end his own gospel. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Our job, our calling, our summoning is to be proclaimers. Well, Pastor, that's not my gift. (laughs) Not my gift. (laughs) I'm not trying to be silly. Guys, are there some that are gifted in that area? Yes, the Bible tells us that. Are there some called to a preaching ministry in a professional sense? Yes. But get this, guys. Every Christian, every born-again believer, everyone who's put faith and trust in Jesus Christ has been summoned and called to be a proclaimer. It's not a gifting. It's a calling. And and I realize that, you know, I'm just shy. That's not my gift. I'd rather be behind the scenes. That's perfectly fine. You know, to, to do the, what, to, to do a lot of the things that you really feel gifted at. If you're a servant oriented person and you want to serve, but that doesn't take away this calling part of the proclamation. But pastor, I'm just not really well trained. I haven't been through any of those evangelism classes. I'm all for evangelism classes, but guys, these guys weren't trained either. You know what Jesus said instead of saying, okay, I'm going to take you through the ABCs of witnessing. I'm going to take you through faith. F-I-E. He doesn't say, you know what he says? For three years, verse 14, look what it says. I want you to be with me. They were to be with Jesus. Well, I honestly believe this. I've been through all the different training courses and I like them. I'm not opposed to them. But I can promise you this, guys. In my experience, I would rather have somebody going out with me that has been with Jesus than just with an outline. I'm not trying to make light of that outline. I'm just saying, you get people to be with Jesus. They're just with Jesus. They're, just, they're in the study. They're praying. They're just living with Jesus. There's going to be an overflow of Jesus from their life. That is the best witnessing tool. Please don't hear that I'm against formal witnessing constructions. I I know them. I've been through them. I've used them. They're useful. But an outline will never match the, the overflow that comes when you've just been with Jesus. And that's what he says, man. Here's your training. You're going to follow me. You're going to learn some things. Certainly, they were hopefully a little bit better theologians at the end of Jesus' ministry of three years than they were at the beginning. But the main thing, be with him. Acts 4.13. I, I love this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, perceived that they were uneducated common men, that's a fancy way of saying they weren't so bright (laughs) they didn't go to hovard and (laughs) Yale. they were astonished what's the last part of that verse and they recognized that they had been with jesus guys y'all are not the sharpest pencil and in the box, you're, you're not. But we can tell there's something amazing about you. And what we've discerned out of this amazement is that you've been with this Jesus. Is there anything better that could be said of you or me today? Oh, man, he's just theologically, he's got it down. He's read all these books. He could quote this. I'm not belittling that. But you know what I want them to say about me when I'm gone? Man, he was with Jesus. He's with Jesus now, but he was with Jesus when he was here. What was said of these men? They could tell that they'd been with Jesus. And one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament, Acts 17, 6. These men, these men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. These disciples, these apostles, as imperfect, as a rowdy bunch as they were, filled with the very Spirit of God, being with Jesus, they turned the world upside down. And has the world ever been the same since 2,000 years ago when God sent out those missional disciples, apostles, to go change the world? These 12 guys, rough as they can be, Verse 16 through 19. And he pointed to 12 Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boronegis, I think. That is, sons of thunder. We're just going to go with sons of thunder. Uh, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These were not scholarly men. There's not a professor among them. These were not just overly spiritual men. There's not a rabbi or a priest among them or a theologian. They were not even similar. Some are fishermen. Some are tax collectors. There's a political zealot. But that is the power and the beauty of the gospel, folks. That he takes this ragtag bunch of people that would call themselves Cornerstone Church. He says, man, I'm going to take you from all this variety and all these backgrounds and all these differences and I'm going to send you out, I'm going to summon you out, I'm going to command you, you go share the gospel because you've been with me and let that overflow of your experience with me go out there and turn this world upside down. We really don't need a lot more theologians, guys. We need to be theologically astute and and do that. We need people who have been with Jesus. I mean, look at verse 17. I love the humor of God. He is really funny at times. And verse 17 is one of those things. What is their nickname? The one that we can pronounce. Sons of Thunder. That means hot-tempered ones. Now, when we usually think of John, we think of Grandpa John, you know, the one that wrote First John, Second John, and by that time he's this perhaps ninety years old. We think that he could have lived to to ninety, and we see this grandfather of the New Testament, kind of like my little children come and gather around, and he is that. But when he's young, he's a son of thunder. What do sons of thunder do? Luke nine fifty four is a great example. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they saw something they did not like. And look what they said. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? It's like giving seven-year-olds hand grenades. Go play. (laughs) These guys, their resume would it's in this stack. And yet these are the ones he desired. And this is the ones that he summoned, that he called. And these are the ones that he turned the, ups- the world upside down with. And, and the beauty of all of this is that that calling is now extended to us. Uh, another one, Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a zealot was in those days? They had another name in the New Testament for them. They were called dagger men. Do you know why they were called dagger men? Because within their clothing, they would hide a dagger. And if they would ever find a Roman soldier in isolation, which usually did not happen, but they, they would go out and they would try to kill that Roman soldier. They hated the Roman authorities. They would do anything to get rid of the Roman government. So they were called, these zealots were called dagger men. And yet God called him to go proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's the beauty and the power of the gospel, guys. Jesus called these men to two things. And here's our invitation this morning to us. Be with me and go out and proclaim the gospel. It hasn't changed. It's what he's extended to each one of us here that have put our faith and our trust in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Be with me and go proclaim the gospel. And turn the world upside down. Even if it's your little world. Even if it's your dysfunctional family. Even if it's this or that or whatever. I want you to go there and I want you to turn your world upside down. What a calling. What a summoning. It's not my gift, Pastor. But it's your calling. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. How humbling this is, Father, this morning to to look and walk slowly through this passage and look at the the heaviness of some of these words. Father, I think that you didn't put me in charge of of getting the 12 disciples because I would not have picked these 12. And yet, Father, this is exactly what you led your son to do. He prayed all night to you, Father, for direction, for wisdom, and, Father, just for this assurance. So that when we see the word proclaimed that these were the men that he desired, Father, we know in full confidence that these were the exactly plan A and that there was not a plan B in existence. And Father, today you've called the church, the body of Christ. This is your plan A, and Father, you don't have a plan B. Not because you're not a creative God, not because you can't do anything that you want, but Father, this is your will. This is your sovereign, Father, summon to us that you have called your people to be with Christ and in the overflow of that being with Christ, that we are proclaimers of this great gospel. Father, help us. Whether it's school, at work, in our community, in our family. That's the hardest one, Father, in our family. That, that, Father, we just, because of the overflow, because we've been with you, that Father, they'll just see the hope of the gospel in us. Father, we love you and we, we thank you. Father, help us this, this week to proclaim you as we pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.